0: We find ourselves in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We come now to verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, picking up where we have left off in this series. I believe this is our 11th week in 1 Corinthians. And we will continue in verse 10. These are the words of God. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, Amen. comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Amen. I want to preach a message to you tonight entitled, The Illuminating Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thus far in our study of the topic of wisdom and its application to preaching, that's what's been going on in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, we've seen the role of the Father in ordaining the means and the message of redemption. It was God the Father who took the first step in the Council of eternity when He deciphered the plan of the gospel and He ordained its accomplishment and He set the uh, wheel in motion, so to speak, and we've looked at how it was God the Father who was the initiator of our salvation. Amen. And we've seen the role of God the Son in coming to earth and in the form of God, but in the body of man, embodying the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? It is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. And in the crucifixion, Christ accomplished the wise eternal plan of God. Amen. And now, as we come to verse 10 of chapter 2, we will see the ministry of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as He is the one who reveals and applies the wisdom of God and the work of Christ to the hearts of individual sinners. Amen. You must consider your salvation as Trinitarian. Sure. You are not just saved by God the Son. You are not just saved by God the Father. You are not just saved by God the Holy Ghost, but you are saved by the fullness of the Godhead. Amen. Amen. And of all the confusion that exists, concerning who God is and what He does, there is perhaps no greater confusion than the confusion surrounding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is probably the one that we like to talk about the most, yet it's also the one we understand the least. Many Christians do not comprehend the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, ungodly, and unbiblical emotions and activities and feelings and sensibilities are falsely attributed to the Holy Spirit. Right. And already in 1 Corinthians, great emphasis has been placed upon God the Father as well as it should. And great importance has been given to the work of Christ as well it should. But it is paramount for us to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as presented in 1 Corinthians. In theology, we call the doctrine of the Holy Spirit pneumatology. Pneumatology. Think about how you would spell pneumonia, right? That with that p n. Pneuma. Well, it comes from a Greek word which literally deals with our breath, pneumos. And pneumatology, the study of breath, the Holy Spirit there, being pictured as and referred to as the breath of God. With God breathed life into Adam. The word there is theonoustos, which is literally God breathed. And so the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, just like we have Christology for this doctrine of Christ, we have pneumatology for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And pneumatology is critical in our understanding of this epistle especially. So much of Paul's teachings have to deal with the... uh, fact of the Spirit's ministry, what He does within us, what He does through us, and how His ministry is seen in our day-to-day lives as members of the Lord's church. And an equally diligent study of the Holy Spirit must be given to the Father and to the Son. We must study all of God. All right. Salvation and the dispensation of grace is trinitarian. It was not just the Father who purposed to be gracious to you, nor is it just the Son who purposed to be gracious to you, but it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in accordance to one will. How many wills does God have? God has one will. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one will. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And when He said that, I and my Father are one, He used a neuter noun. He did not use a masculine noun. He was not saying that I and my Father are the same person. No, He was saying I and my Father are one in purpose. We are one in in action. We are one in desire. We are one in will. In the same way, Jesus prayed in John 17 that His church would be one. Now, we will never all be the same person. But we should be one in heart and mind and spirit. And so we need to understand that the grace of God which comes into our life which was purposed in eternity. We, we studied it last week in verse 7, this plan of redemption. That was eternally formed in the wisdom of God, right? Ordained before the world unto our glory. We must understand that that was a trinitarian ordination. It was the Father, the Son and the Spirit agreeing with one another, entering into a plan with one another to accomplish a specific purpose. They are not working in uh, competition to each other. Right. You understand that? It is not as if the Father knows who's going to be saved because He looked down and learned who's going to be saved, but then He sends His Son to die for everyone without exception. The Father did not send His Son to be a failure. Amen. Amen. And the Spirit is not just working with those people who kind of halfway hear the gospel. No, the Spirit is working for that same group because God works harmoniously within Himself. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, you could no sooner explain it than you could explain the hypostatic union, how Christ was both God and man, or how you could explain the glories of heaven. There are some things that we in our human minds will never be able to fully comprehend But yet, the doctrine of the Trinity is essential to Christianity. And so we're going to study the Holy Spirit as He's presented in this text. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is just as eternal and sovereignly ordained as the ministry of Christ. We would all understand that Christ did not just decide to go to the cross. After living on earth for 30 years, it was not as if Jesus came to be the Messiah, but had no idea how he was going to accomplish it. And then he had this uh, eureka moment, and he said, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the cross to be the Savior of the world. No, no. The cross was ordained before the foundation of the world. Amen. Well, so too it is with the ministry of the Spirit. Before the world ever began, the Spirit knew All those who He would come upon. All those He would quicken. All those He would make alive. All those He would indwell. It was not as if uh, the Spirit just happened to see you one day and decide, you know what? That looks like a good guy to save. I think I'll quicken Him. No. His ministry was ordained in eternity like the ministry of Christ. And in this text, we'll see the person of the Holy Spirit, the deity of the Holy Spirit the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and how all of this is applied to our command to preach the Word. That's what chapter 2 is all about. The, The wisdom of God, the truths about the wisdom of God, and how they apply to the ministry of preaching. So there's four things I want you to see from this text. Four things. The first is the revelation of the Spirit. The revelation of the Spirit. Look with me at verse 10. The Bible says, But God hath revealed them unto us. In contrast to verses 6 through 9, which proclaim the natural man's inability to understand the wisdom of God. That's what last week's message was all about. How that man by himself can never understand the truth of God. We could never come to receive the gospel on our own. And verses 6 through 9... Uh, are a little bleak in that regard. They're they're rather hopeless in that sense. But what a glorious way. Now verse 10 begins. It begins with two of the most precious words in the whole Bible. It begins with this, but God. You see that in verse 10. Man cannot come to know God on his own. Man cannot come to believe in Christ on his own. Man cannot come to receive grace on his own, but God. Amen. Man is helplessly lost. Man is dead in sin. Man is destined for eternal hell, but God. Amen. And I pray that you have had your own but God moment in your life. I I pray that there is a day for you. You might not be able to give me the date, but but, uh, like one brother said, I don't know when it happened, but I was there, and I know it did happen. Amen. And you might not be able to give me a time. You might not be able to give a testimony and say it was at 2.45 on August 13th of 2007 or or whatever your testimony may be. But I pray that you know within your own heart that there was a time in your life when your soul was dark and your heart was encaptured to sin and you were in spiritual bondage and spiritual death, but God came in and freed you from the curse of sin and saved your soul. But God, I pray that you have this moment in your life, this experiential encounter with the gospel of Christ. But God, and He goes on to say, hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Now, what are these things? He said, hath revealed them. And if you look there in the King James Bible, the word them is in italics, meaning that there's no word there. It just says, but God hath revealed unto us by His Spirit. And in the original there, that that word revealed, it would be very clear that it was referring to the previous subject. And what is the previous subject? Well, in verse 9, he's talking about these glorious things that I have not seen, that ear hath not heard, that have not entered into the heart of man. Things which man cannot come to know on his own, God hath revealed those things by His Spirit. Verse 9 is not a reference just to heaven, though it's often preached that way. But again, context is key. Verse 9 is a reference to the wisdom of God in the gospel of Christ. The message of Christ and Him crucified. Now you say you don't need the Spirit to understand that. Anyone who can read English can pick up a Bible and can read about the testimony of Christ being crucified. Well yes, but you must understand there is a great difference. There is a vast chasm between intellectual knowledge And spiritual experience. Amen. A big difference. Amen. And many people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. Mm -hmm. 18 inches is the distance, approximately, from the center of your brain to the center of your heart. And it is not enough to just have a, a cognitive understanding of Christ and Him crucified. No, you must have personally received those truths for yourself for your own. You must not just be able to say, yes, I know that Jesus died on the cross. You must be able to say, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. Amen. For me. You may come to an intellectual knowledge of Christ's death, but you will never receive the spiritual truth of His death unless the Spirit reveals that to you personally. And here we see the the paradox in Christianity. See, man must believe in order to be saved, but man cannot believe apart from God. Mm -hmm. So, how does man believe on the gospel? How does he receive Christ? God reveals it unto him. It was God who took the initiative, it was God who pulled back the veil. It was God who opened blinded eyes. It was God who intervened in your life and in the lives of everyone who comes to know Christ. All God has to do for a man to go to hell is to just leave him alone. Man by nature loves those things which God hates. Man by nature has no desire for Christ. Man by nature does not Long after the holiness of Jesus. And it's not that God has to work sin in his heart. God does not have to force him to go to hell. All man has to do to go to hell is for God to just leave him alone. But for man to be saved. For man to be right with God. For man to be justified. For man to be freed from the curse of sin. God must intervene. Amen. And the moment we abandon this truth, the moment we start thinking that the gospel can go forth, or that Christianity can advance, without divine intervention, we've lost the gospel. Amen. The moment we think that we, by carnal means and by carnal attraction, can advance the kingdom of Christ, Or that we, uh, by human work and our own merit and our own strivings can build a true church. We're building upon a foundation that is sinking sand. If any work is going to be done for God in your life, in the lives of others, as a church in this community, it will be through divine intervention. God will step in and God will do it through us. We could have studied and read and listened to preaching. We could have read the gospel, read the Bible until we were just blue in the face. But we would never have any spiritual understanding had it not been for God's sovereign choice of revealing these things to Amen. us. God revealed them unto us, verse 10. The us is a, primarily it's a reference to the apostles. But secondarily, it's a reference to all believers. This is Paul speaking, right? Paul, who was used to write, I believe, 14 books of the New Testament. I'm giving him Hebrews. The apostles were the ones who were given the revelation of the new covenant. God spoke directly through them. Gave them new information that no one had ever seen. That's why Paul talks about this mystery that he has received and that he is recording. That was actually, uh, you could say there were two purposes of Paul's ministry. The first was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But the second was to reveal the mysteries of the new covenant. Such as the church, the ordinances, the, the government of the church, the, the, the God's economy of grace in the New Testament. We would never know anything about the church if all we had was the Old Testament, you see. And Paul was chiefly the one used of God to reveal these truths to us. And they were commissioned, the apostles were, to record what God had revealed to them for the benefit of those to come. And those recordings were compiled in Scripture, So when Paul says that God revealed them unto us, he's primarily referring to God uh, divinely giving him this new revelation, but also we apply this to us now having received it through the written word. Mm -hmm. Do you realize what we are reading is exactly that which God first revealed to Paul? Amen. We also must understand that this revelation is complete. When the Apostle John finished writing the book of Revelation, which I believe we can pretty much firmly say that that was the last book chronologically to be written, God was done speaking. Why was He done speaking? Because He had said all that He needed to say. Amen. There is nothing you need for life or godliness. There is nothing you need for sanctification. There is nothing you need to live a life that is pleasing unto God that is not contained in the Bible. Jesus Christ is God's final word to mankind. And no new revelation has been given. Hence, there's no apostles today. Right. Amen. There's no prophets today. The only kind of prophesying that we have today is forthtelling, the, the preaching of the revelation that has already been given. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, do you have any new words from God? Or when I, when I hear people pray, Lord, give us a new word. Well, if I come in here and preach a new word, I, I hope you put me on the street. Right. I'm still caught up in the old truths. Amen. Well, what did we sing in that, that first hymn? Speak, O Lord. Yeah. The truth that is echoed down to eternity. Yes. We have it in our laps. Some say, well, it sure would be nice to have lived during the ministry of Isaiah. And to be there in Israel when Isaiah climbs upon a rock, staff in hand, cloak you know, flying in the wind. And he says, thus saith the Lord. And I I understand that. It would be cool to see. Do you realize that you have something far better than those people had? You have everything God could ever want you to hear. Those people had nothing. Except for what they heard at random times when the prophet prophesied. But you at any time can go to your Bible and open it up and have the word of God. God hath revealed them unto us. So if you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. Amen. And if you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> but understand that the revelation is complete. It's, it's a full and perfect revelation. And the way in which these truths are revealed to us today is not through God giving new information but it is through the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts and our minds to understand the revelation that God has already given in His Word, the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can look at it in two parts. The first aspect of this illuminating ministry was the Spirit inspiring the authors to write Scripture. But the second part that is still going on today that I pray is happening right now in your heart is the Holy Spirit making sense of Scripture to you. To you. The word illuminate, what does that sound like? That that sounds like if I illuminate a room, I turn the lights on in the room, and the room is illuminated. Don't, Don't be afraid of these big words. They're not hard. The illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit simply means that the Spirit takes the Word and brings it into your heart and then turns the lights on so you can understand it. And it's done by His Spirit. Note a capital S in verse 10. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just as necessary and just as active in your salvation as the Father and the Son. Without the Holy Spirit, you would have never known what God had purposed for you in eternity or what Jesus did for you on the cross. You would never have seen yourself a sinner had the Holy Spirit not shown you to be a sinner. You would have never seen Christ as your Savior apart from the Holy Spirit's illumination. How humble this should make us. What room do we have to boast in anything? It is God who opens our eyes, who reveals truth to our heart. We did not figure these things out Amen. on our own. Now, does God use means? Absolutely. See, sometimes when you, when you think about the Holy Spirit illumination, what, you, you, you get this idea in your mind that that means... You just uh, take a verse, you don't understand the verse, and you go home, and you read it, and you sit there, and, and then, ding, it's like a microwave, you know, ding, and then you understand it, mysteriously. Well, I suppose that just through reading it, and thinking about it, and praying about it, you can come to sense of it, and that is spiritual illumination. But it's, it's also the Holy Spirit's illumination when you read a commentary, or when you hear preaching, or when you hear a sermon, or, or, or whatever, the Holy Spirit uses those means to teach you as well. That's why I always chuckle when, when people say, um, when people say, we don't need books, we don't need commentaries, we just need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Well, if that was true, why are you even preaching to me right now that we need that? Understand? Understand? The, the ministry of the Holy Spirit uses means to reveal the truth of God to you so that you are able to then apply it to your life. And it should humble us to see that it is the Spirit who does these things. This is the revelation of the Spirit. Secondly, I want you to see the reality of the Spirit. Look at verse 10, the second half of the verse. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. In this phrase, we see two important truths about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. Number two, the Holy Spirit is divine. And let's consider that first one first, the personality of the Holy Spirit. Some falsely believe that the Holy Spirit is just this immaterial force, just this Uh, this mystical power. But the Holy Spirit, you must understand, is a person with volition and intelligence. Volition simply means that He has a voluntary will. An impartial force has no will. An impartial force just does whatever it, it, it was empowered to do. Fire does not control what it burns. Right? If you go into a forest and you start a fire, the flames will spread and the fire cannot choose what it's going to burn. And some people think that's how the Holy Spirit functions. But that's not at all how the Holy Spirit functions. He has a volition. He has a will. He has a purpose. He makes decisions. Okay? Intelligence refers to the fact that he has the ability to know things. And... Uh, this is what separates persons from immaterial forces. Volition and intelligence, which the Holy Spirit possesses. But secondly, the Holy Spirit is not just any person, He is a divine person. Amen. How many divine persons are there? There's three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen. Three in one, the Trinity. There's one God, three persons. And the Holy Spirit is divine. Divine. He is not subservient to the Father or the Son.
1: Amen.
0: He lacks no quality that the Father and the Son possess. He has the fullness of the divine attributes. He is fully God. He is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. How do we know that? Well, look what it says. The Spirit searcheth some things. Now, the Spirit searcheth all things. Amen. This is the attribute of omniscience, all-knowing. He knows everything. He searcheth all things. And the phrase is in the perfect tense, right? He searcheth, not he searched or he will search, but he searcheth. That means that the Holy Spirit perpetually knows everything that could possibly be known. Amen. The word search uh, does not necessarily mean to discover but it means to have a comprehensive understanding of everything. He's not constantly learning. He's constantly knowing. Amen. Amen. And the pinnacle of his knowledge. You, you, you take someone that uh, is a, a well-rounded individual. It's a knowledgeable individual. And there will be one topic that they are just the expert on. They know more about it than anyone. Well, the Holy Spirit has a crown jewel and his intellectual library and the pinnacle of his knowledge is the deep things of God the spirit searcheth all things yea the deep things of God there is so much about God that you and I will never know in this life right. there are things about God that we will not even be able to comprehend in eternity there are things about God which the angels shall never know But there is nothing about God or within God or proceeding from God that is not known by the Holy Spirit. This means that the Holy Spirit is in every way qualified to reveal the truth of divine wisdom unto us. Because He knows it and He knows it masterfully. A, A human... A man that is called of God to preach the word must be apt to teach. He must be knowledgeable. We have too many ignorant preachers in pulpits all across America. But I don't profess for one second to know everything there is to know about this book. And I, I don't believe any true preacher would make such a stupid claim. Right. But if a human preacher if a human pastor is to be knowledgeable and is is to be instructed in the things of God how much more so the Holy Spirit he knows the deep things of God he knows all things there's not one verse that he doesn't understand every verse of scripture has how many correct interpretations only one Amen. Amen. and we don't necessarily know all of them that's why we get on Facebook and debate right But the Holy Spirit does. And through teaching, and through preaching, and through meditation, and through prayer, He reveals the truth of God's Word to us. In verse 11, the Bible uses an illustration to explain this point. It says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Now notice, this is a lowercase s. This is not talking about the Holy Spirit. This is just talking about your spirit. You understand? You are body, soul, and spirit. In other words, I don't know what's going on in Lucas' mind right now. No one knows what's really going on in there except for Lucas. And the only way we can know what's going on in there is if Lucas tells us. And so he says, even so... The things of God knoweth no man. Save the Spirit, or but the Spirit of God. We would never, do you understand that? We would never have any consciousness of the nature and truth and works of God had God not revealed them to us. Amen. You're right. God has revealed them through created things. He has stamped His image In other individuals? But beyond that, He has given us special revelation through Jesus Christ and through the Word and through the ministry of the Spirit. And apart from that, we couldn't know anything about God. And we only know those things which He has revealed. God discloses Himself to us. Isn't that a a, a glorious truth? Amen. This God, who, who sits loftily in the heavens, who is above all and over all, who is separate from all of us, has chosen to condescend to make himself known. You know, it's a wonderful thing when we when we see these stories about uh, important figures, prominent world leaders, celebrities even, that, that develop relationships with you know, the average Joe, so to speak. Right? How much more so is it incredible that the God of heaven Amen. would seek us out and reveal Himself to us so that we might know Him? Amen. That's the reality of the Spirit. He's a person. And He's divine. He is God. Thirdly, we see the reception of the Spirit. The reception of the Spirit. Look at verse 12. Now we have received. And consider this word, now we have received. In contrast to what? In contrast to the, the dispensation of the old covenant, when these glorious truths of Christ and Him crucified were veiled in types and shadows and sacrifices. We didn't fully understand all that we now understand on this side of Calvary. But now we have received them. Now, in contrast to our former state of spiritual death and spiritual darkness when we didn't understand the things of God? I think these texts are are really poignant to those of us who are saved in America. Why do I say that? Because in America, just about everyone, especially here in the South, hears the gospel and hears the things of God. But as Pastor Larry likes to say, he said, when did you really hear it? Not not when did you hear it, because all of you have heard it, but when did you really hear it, or have you really heard it? But now, now, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. This we is a reference to those whom the Holy Spirit has illuminated to understand the gospel. Receiving the truth of God changes the way we view the world. We don't see the world in the same way. We don't still have this spirit of the world. You no longer share the same mindset the same goals, the same aspirations, the same desires, the same morals, the same ethics, the same values, the same wishes, the same wants, the same skill sets, the same schedules. You no longer think that the same things are important and the same things are unimportant that you used to think. Your priorities have changed. I'm describing a Christian to you. When God saves a sinner, that individual in, 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 receives the indwelling of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit is not a second blessing. The indwelling of the Spirit takes place at the moment of conversion. And there has never been a saint saved going back to Adam in the Garden of Eden that has not been indwelled by the Spirit. What is it mean to be indwelt by the spirit well it it, it simply just means that the spirit takes up residency in your heart how can paul say christ in me the hope of glory you say i thought christ was in heaven sitting at the right hand of the father well he is how is christ in you through the spirit the Spirit takes up residency in your heart. He is present within you in a way that He is not present in other places. Now, He is, he is omnipresent, right? Because God is omnipresent. Amen. But do you remember what we studied about worship a couple Wednesday nights ago? God is present in the worship service in a way that He's not present at other places. Right. Same with the Spirit indwelling the Christian. And like anyone who inhabits a new residency... The first thing that the Holy Spirit begins to do in you is He furnishes your heart and your soul after the likeness of Christ. He cannot live comfortably in the sinful baggage that you brought into this. You understand that? He furnishes you. He remodels you. He flips you. He changes you. He molds you. You should desire for your heart to be a suitable dwelling place for the Spirit of God. That means you should not bring anything into your heart which God would not want to look upon and to be around. Legally and judicially, you are changed from lost to saved at the moment of your conversion. That, that is not anything that takes place over time. You were saved in an instant. You, you were changed from guilty to righteous, from dead to alive, from condemned to justified. Just like when someone purchases a home. As soon as they signed their name on the dotted line, the home is theirs. And when you believed upon Christ, God signed His name on the dotted line for the deed to your soul. Really, he did that in eternity. Exactly. But that, that per- the, you could say, he purchased you in eternity, but there was a closing that took place. The moment you were converted. The moment you believed. And then he took residency in your heart, and at that moment, he began to change you. He began to organize. He began to design. He began to decorate. He began to furnish. He began to, to make this drastic change within you. This is the process of sanctification, whereby the Holy Spirit grows you in grace and changes you from unholy to holy. The Spirit works out practically in your life what God did for you judicially in salvation. you understand that? When you were saved, God declared you righteous because you must be righteous to be saved. And God declared you righteous on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. But yet you are not righteous. So the Holy Spirit works out practically what has already been declared of you by God. And notice in verse 12, the, the spirits here, the spirit of the world, and the spirit which is of God are lowercase s's. So when it says we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God it's not a direct reference to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but it is referring to the byproduct of that or the fruit of that. See, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive a spiritual outlook that is from God. After the truth is revealed to you, you will think differently about yourself, about God, about Christ, about the cross, about the church, about other Christians about your obligations in the world. You will think differently about the lost. We don't have this same spirit of the world. The, the worldly mindset. The worldly mentality. We covered that ad nauseum in chapter 1. Paul just blasting away at the wisdom of man. But now we have the spirit of God. This, this new worldview. And if you are a Christian, There's a great struggle that is taking place in your heart on a daily basis. Each day, you are fighting within yourself, disciplining your mind and your heart to operate in accordance with these truths delivered to you by the Holy Spirit. As you make decisions, you have to conscientiously think within yourself is this something that would be done in the spirit of the world, or is this something that I'm doing after the spirit which is of God? Is this according to the truth that God has revealed to me? Or is this according to what I used to believe before the Lord saved me? And if you have this struggle, that's a blessed thing. Because it means that there's something going on in your heart. It means that in some way God is working upon your will and your affections. So I don't worry about Christians who come to me and say that they're struggling with sin. I worry about those who claim to be Christians that don't struggle with sin. Mm-hmm. Amen. Because if you're not struggling with sin in your life, if you have no sense of the besetting sins that are still within your heart that need to be rooted out and mortified and put to death and crucified, there's a possibility that you were never illuminated Amen. in the first place. That your heart was never quickened to begin with. Christian, you must must quit thinking like the world. Mm -hmm. I believe that the church and we as the people of God, we accept the preconceived notions of the world so many times and we don't even realize it. We think the way they think and we don't even realize it because we're saturated in, in the culture. And we have to be so extra careful that we're thinking like Christians. Amen. The battle begins in the mind. And if you cannot think like a Christian, you'll never be able to live like one. Right. Right. Amen. And if you claim to have been saved for any amount of time, and your thinking has just never changed, now, now some things, it will, but it will be such an immediate change You'll you surprise yourself with how quickly your opinions will change about some things. And your friends and your family will be shocked at how quickly your desires can change about some things. But then there will be other things, and I believe it's different for every person. No two people are alike. There will be other things that you may struggle with for the rest of your life. Those of you who are young, I would encourage you, To make it a priority now Mm -hmm. to seek the Lord. My father was not converted until he was 60 years old. And for 60 years, for six decades, he lived thinking like any lost person would live. And there are things that he struggles with, habits that he has, ways of thinking that are so ingrained into his mind that are so hard for him to overcome. Because he's been doing it for 60 years. And his heart in some areas had had just gotten so hard. Now, God is still able, above and beyond, to convert someone in that state. But before you allow your heart to get hard, you who are sitting there thinking, well, I'll get right with God someday, or I'll make a decision to really follow Christ someday, You know you need to do it, but you want to put it off just a little while longer. It's a dreadful mistake. Seek Him now. Train now. Disciple yourself now. Tune your heart and your mind now after the truth of God. When the Spirit of God indwells you, when this change happens, You get a new zeitgeist. What is a zeitgeist? I was studying this text and I came across a German word. You know, the Germans are very philosophical. And the Germans have this word, zeitgeist. And it's two nouns put together. Zeit is time, like time in reference to like a a period of time or an age. And Geist refers to ghost or spiritual understanding. It would be equivalent to our to our uh, English phrase, the spirit of the age. And the Germans, it's actually in the German Bible, Zeitgeist. And my father, he's from Berlin. He moved here in 1996. So I called my father and I said, Dad, I said, "Uh, what does Zeitgeist mean? He said, Zeitgeist? Oh, he said, it's a German word that refers to one's worldview, the way one perceives the world. And he said, it's not a godly thing. It has a negative connotation. And so the, the Bible uses this word zeitgeist to refer to the way that we would naturally see the world. And the Bible says that when, when the Holy Spirit quickens you and indwells you and changes you, you get an entirely new perception of the world. You get a new zeitgeist. I thought that was interesting. And what is the purpose of this change? What, what is the purpose of, of God remodeling us? Why, why can God not just... Leave us. Why can He not just save us and be done? Well, number one, God loves you too much to do that. God loves His people so much that He will not leave them in the sin which He saved them from. Isn't that a glorious thought? People say, well, when you're a Christian, can you just live however you want to? Yes, you can. Because God changes the things you want. And He changes those desires. And He changes your will because He loves you. Because He loves you. And why does He do this? What is the chief purpose? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. It's there at the end of verse 12. The chief end of the Spirit's ministry is to reveal to us the things of God. And we cannot fully reveal the Word of God until we are... Changing our affections and changing our desires and changing our minds to be attuned to God. This is the ministry of the Spirit revealing those things of God. If you wanted to know if something is really the the work of the Spirit, you just ask these questions. Where is the focus? Who is being glorified? See, the Spirit did not come to exalt Himself The Spirit came to exalt Christ. That is the problem with charismatic theology. Charismatic theology says it's all about the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. But the Spirit did not come to make much of Himself. He came to make much of Christ. And to reveal those things freely given to us of God. Now this phrase, freely given, it's a bit difficult to understand. It could be referring to the manner in which these things were revealed to the apostles. That is, God gave them immediately to the apostles. And that's very true, but it could also refer to the nature of the truths themselves. The gospel of Christ, all the blessings that come to us through His crucifixion, they are freely given to us. We, we do not merit those gifts. Yeah, we do not deserve those gifts. We did not earn the sacrifice of Christ. They were freely Given to us. And notice also, he says that we might know the things that are freely given. Not that we might be pretty sure about them, not that we might have a uh, decent idea about them, but that we might know them. Do you know Christ? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you know that he has died? For you. And lastly, we see the rhetoric of the Spirit in verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That last phrase, again, is one of those kind of confusing phrases. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. What does that mean? Well, this word comparing can also be rendered as expositing or explaining or illuminating. And when he says comparing spiritual things with spiritual things, I believe he explains what he means in the first half of the verse. Teaching those things which the Holy Ghost teacheth. We must teach God's Word God's way. We are preaching, if it is to be spiritual preaching... It must be preached in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. We must not try to preach God's gospel in man's way. We must not try to proclaim God's message with man's methods. True ministry must be done in the words that the Holy Ghost teacheth, Literally the words of Scripture themselves. I don't want to skip over hard words or hard doctrines. At Christ Fellowship, if you have not realized this by now, we do not believe in bringing the doctrines down to you. We believe in bringing you up to the doctrines. Right. And when we come to a difficult verse, when we come to a, a bigger word, we don't skip over it. No, we explain it and we study it and we learn about it because we want to use those words which the Holy Ghost teaches. There are things in the Bible that are hard for us to receive, but we must receive them. There are things in the Bible that are difficult for us to understand, but we must study them, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Some say that's a little old-fashioned. Some say that's behind the times. But preaching the truth is always in style to God. Amen. Have we not seen already God abundantly bless us? through the preaching of His Word. We don't have any gimmicks here. Uh, The the most contemporary thing that we have to attract people in is that little $90 coffee maker over there. We don't need skits. We don't need the puppet shows. We don't need the rock and roll concerts. We need the words which the Holy Ghost teaches. And He will build His ministry. He will exalt Christ amongst us. He will move us forward. Can you attest to the ministry of the Holy Spirit personally at work in your own heart? And when you answer that, do not answer that with emotions or wishy-washy feelings. Consider the marks of the Spirit as He's presented in this text. Has the Holy Spirit revealed truth to you? Can you say to me, I understand things about God that I did not understand before the Holy Spirit showed them to me? Do you know that you are a sinner? Do you know that Christ is your Savior? Has your worldview been shaped by the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit? Has has He caused you to think in a way that is different from the way you used to think? Do you have a desire to know more about Christ? To tell others about Christ? The Holy Spirit works in such a way... For only those who humble themselves, who come to an end of themselves, who abandon man's wisdom, who abandon their own good works, who abandon their own efforts, and who simply trust in the goodness of God. And if you have no testimony of the Spirit's witness in your heart and soul, would you cry out to God? Would you beg Him to reveal Himself to you? That is your only hope, friend, to trust in the goodness of God those of you who are longing for the salvation of loved ones you'll never be able to convince them you'll never scare them into heaven you must pray that God would do that which you cannot may we seek the spirit more and more may he reveal himself to us more and more may we grow in the knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ Father we thank you in Jesus name for the word of God and the Spirit of God, His ministry in our heart. I pray that you convict the hearts of those here today, that you open blinded eyes, that you minister your word in such a way that I cannot minister it, that no man could minister it, but minister it directly to the heart. Cut to the soul. Exalt Christ. Save sinners for your honor and your glory. Grow us and shape us.